So I was in fifth grade on the basketball court at Grant Elementary School in downtown Riverside, California. This particular day, we weren't playing basketball. Um, we were playing dodgeball. Um, do they still allow kids to play dodgeball in schools? That's awesome. You have to use a soft. Well, we were not using one of those. We're using the the uh, the yeah the kickball. Yeah, exactly. So we're out there, and it's when you're. When you're on the court and you're playing dodgeball in elementary school, this is all-out war. I mean, if you can hit somebody in the legs and knock them down, that is the best. I mean, that's, what you're, that's the goal, is to hurt people. And it's a blast. It was, I was having a great time. And you know how, it, you know how dodgeball goes, right? The, the more people get out... I mean, the more the game tends to amp up and the more pressure is on. And so I managed to stay in um, for most of the game this time. There was only a couple people on my side and, and myself and, and just a few left on the other side. And what happened is the, a person from the other side chucked the ball. Woo! There's a mic stand right there, just in case you didn't know threw the ball. The ball came whizzing over, right? And this guy named Sonny, Sonny Marino, caught the ball. Right? So that person's out. Um, But somebody had managed to stay very close to me. Um, I was on the other end of the court. And I I could have got this person out with no problem. So I called for the ball. We were playing only with one ball. And I said, Sonny, throw me the ball. Throw me the ball. Because if he would have thrown it, I would have took it. Boom. Got that person out. Sonny held on to the ball. And I knew he was going to throw it. And Sonny's accuracy wasn't that great. And so I told him, Sonny, give me the ball, man. Give me the ball. You can't throw. Not the, not the best thing to say to a teammate. His answer in reply was a little bit shocking. He says, he throws the ball. <laughs> Misses, and then says, well, you can't fight. It's like, okay, well, we didn't have time to, you know, we're playing dodgeball. But I was like, huh, that was weird. So um, what happened next, uh, after the game was over, was interesting. Because I saw Sonny, I grew up also in a, in a bit of a rough neighborhood. I cannot tell you how many fights I got into in elementary school. It's, that was just kind of a way of life. I mean, eating, breathing, sleeping, fighting. That's just, that's, that's just how it was. We fought for fun, really. It was kind of a, a fun place. And, um, so I, and, and uh, in this section of Riverside, there's a, a lot of, there was a lot of gang activity. I think there's a lot still there today. And even in elementary school, um, even in elementary school, you got baby gangsters coming up. I mean, and this is total Southern California, like L.A. style. So already in fifth grade, they're wearing creased up khakis and those striped shirts you buy at the indoor swap meet. And the black Nikes, the plain black Nikes with the big swoosh on them. And they're already sporting hairnets. I mean, that was just kind of the, that was school. And so... Uh, 
I saw Sonny go over and talk to some of these budding baby gangsters. And he was talking with them. And uh, I got that funny feeling. You know that feeling like you know something is off. Something's not right here. So, but then he came walking away from him. And he was smiling and laughing. And uh, he walks over to me. And I was like, okay, so we're just going to squash this and it'll be cool. So he walks up and I said, man, sorry about that. It's, it's cool. And he goes to shake my hand. And I was like, all right, so we're going to put this thing to bed. So I reached out my hand, smiled, and what happened next totally caught me by surprise. I reached out my hand. He took his hand back and went, bah, decked me straight up in the mouth. Boom. It was a good hit, too. I was stunned. I was absolutely stunned. I didn't fall on the ground, but I was just like, wow, that just happened. I was so stunned and so shocked that tears started coming to my eyes. Not because I was hurt, but just because it was like, oh, my gosh, you just punched me in the face. Well, he didn't know that I was a ninja. But actually, I never did punch him. I was so shocked that he sucker punched me like that, that all I did from that point forward was just block. I just blocked all of his punches until he got tired of throwing punches, which was really funny. I wish I could tell you the last time I was I was ever fooled or deceived was in fifth grade. But it wasn't. I think uh, there's that song says, everybody plays the fool sometimes, right? Who sings that song? That's a good song. Who? Michael McDonald? Is that right? Aaron Neville, that's who it is, right? So, all right, so now is, 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 is that song right? I mean, no shame here, but if you've ever played the fool, you've ever been deceived, you've been, ever been tricked, just raise your hand. Okay, so you guys know what I'm talking about. You know the feeling. It's an awful feeling being deceived, and then it's awful when in the aftermath, when you realize what happened, to be kind of kicking yourself and thinking, how in the world did I fall for that? How did I let that happen? Uh, this morning, we're going to take a look um, again at uh, the book of Jude, and we're going to gain some insights into why we often find ourselves in these kinds of situations. This is the fourth, fourth, the fourth part of our series entitled, Hey from Jude. Now, this is a study of a letter, a letter that is known as Jude, which was written to early Christians to warn them about a very real and present danger that they were facing. And a, a danger that came to them, not from the outside, not from things like other religions or other worldviews or hostile political agendas or Chick-fil-A. <laughs> um, <laughs> not from outside the church, but from within it. They were being sabotaged. They were being destructively deceived from the inside. Hopefully you have a Bible, grab it, open it up to the book of Jude. In case you don't know where it is, 
Here is your clue. And you can join me if you know it. Hey, Jude, it's in the back. After third John, before Revelation. <laughs> That's where it is. Today we're going to focus on verses 11 through 16, but I'm going to read from verse 1 just to keep us in context, okay? Starting at verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God, loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality And deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt. But later he destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home. These he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah. And the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the same way, the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals. These are the very things that destroy them. Here's where we pick up where we're going to focus today, verse 11. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain, They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blowing along or blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea. Foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way. And of all and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Whew. Jude just gets right down to business, doesn't he? 
Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand the heart of what is being said here. Jude cares for his friends. And he's trying to get them to wake up. Trying to get them to understand they're in a dangerous situation. Lord, when we hear this, these kind of words, it's, we have a tendency to just shut down. Because it seems harsh and judgmental or even scary. But Lord, I pray that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear from you this morning. And help me, Lord, as I minister this text. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there was a lot there. And we've covered a lot of ground, haven't we, um, in the first three parts of this series. There's a, there's a couple of verses that really stood out to me as I was studying this text this week. The first one bothers me a lot. It troubles me a lot. And it's verse 12. We've been talking about these, these saboteurs who are, who are in the church, sabotaging it. Uh, destroying it from the inside. And we're catching a glimpse here at this, at this, uh, in this section that not only are these just, just people who are self-professing Christians who don't live like it, but when we get here to, into this text, we begin to see that these people are also apparently teachers. They're also teaching. And it says in verse 12, these people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. And another, um, another way to translate this out of Greek, because you remember the New Testament is originally written in Greek, not in English. Um, another way that we can translate this is to say these people are dangerous reefs. These people are dangerous reefs. Using like a metaphor of like being in the ocean, in a ship. You know, you've seen Pirates of the Caribbean, right? It's shipwreck cove, right? Dangerous reefs. That just being near them in proximity with these people is, is dangerous. But the part that really bothers me is Jude says... That they're right there. These saboteurs are right there eating with them at their love feast or their agape feast. This is in early Christianity. When they got together, um, they ate a meal very often. They always ate meals. And communion or the Eucharist actually took place as part of the meal. These saboteurs are embedded within the community. They're there at the agape feast. They're there sharing communion. And he says they're doing it without the slightest qualm. No fear whatsoever. No fear whatsoever. And he says they're shepherds who feed only themselves. You know, because the job of a shepherd is to, is 
to lead the sheep to food and water, among other things. But apparently these people were there at the feast, which is, should, should symbolize serving one another and sharing with one another. But these shepherds, they're, they're only really concerned about themselves with their own appetites. And this is what bothers me. Why couldn't the church see what was happening? Why did Jude, why did Jude have to write this letter? I mean, why, what's, why can't they recognize what's going on? Why can't they recognize what's happening? I mean, think about it. These were not stupid people. They, they weren't dumb. You know, they're people like you and I. <laughs> I know sometimes that's not saying much. <laughs> but they're people, they're people like us. They knew better than to judge a book by its cover, right? They knew better than to judge by mere appearances. They knew just because someone looks the part or talks the part doesn't mean they're necessarily living the stuff. They knew. They knew not to judge by mere appearances. They had been warned about these kind of saboteurs since day one. They had been warned. As we listen to what, what Jude was saying, he brings up their history. He brings up their traditions and their history. He tells them about Cain and Balaam and Korah. Now, these, these people can be found in the Torah. You know, Cain, the, you would be most familiar with the, the story about Cain uh, found in Genesis, that he was apparently the first murderer, that he, gave an, he made an offering to God that, was, for whatever reason, was, wasn't pleasing to God. And his brother's offering was, was accepted and was pleasing. But rather than... Rather than uh, Cain fixing his situation and dealing with the fact that he, you know, he needed, to do, he needed to fix some stuff in his life, he chose to kill the person who made an offering that was pleasing. Killed his brother. And God spared his life, Cain's life. And after that, there's... Jewish tradition and myth that talks about Cain going into the world and spreading evil, spreading wickedness, teaching people how to be evil. Rather than do what was really pleasing to God, he would rather kill. Kill the ones who are. He tells the story of Balaam. I love Balaam. Balaam is a famous wizard. He's a wizard. <laughs> He's a, there's a lot of tradition out there about Balaam, but, but just to get right to the point, Balaam was a prophet who was summoned um, um, by a king named Balak to curse Israel. And he would pay him a lot of money to curse Israel. And Balaam rushed for it. Balaam was all about it. He would prophesy for money. And he did other things as well. But he took something that should have been a gift from God 
used to build people up. And he, he took it and used it to make money. And Jude, Jude tells them the story of Korah. Now, this one you might not be quite as familiar with, but you can find this uh, in the Torah as well. Korah, Korah led a rebellion against Moses in the wilderness. A huge rebellion. And it cost a lot of people their lives. It cost a lot of people their lives. See, all three of these examples that, that um, Jude gives are people who were guilty of destroying the godly people, of destroying people for personal gain. For personal gain. Then Jude goes on and gives them examples from nature. Things that surely they would be familiar with, although the, the examples he brings up um, have a lot of... Uh, have different have have even deeper meaning meanings. These are common metaphors that are that his first audience would have been very familiar with. He tell he he accuses these saboteurs of being waterless clouds, fruitless trees, wild waves, and wandering stars. They look good, but they really offer nothing good to anyone. They give you a sign of hope, but will never deliver. They'll never deliver. And then he, he brings up Enoch. Now, if you're wondering where in the world did Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesy anything, where is that found in the Bible? Good news. It's not. <laughs> that's, it's, that's not part of what we would call the the canon or the uh, measuring standard of Scripture. Um, all we really know of Enoch from, from the Bible, from Genesis, is that he walked with God and then was no more. That's about it. But there's odd little things like that in the Bible where you can understand somebody's like, he walked with God and was no more. That's it. And so they write all kinds of stories about him. And so Jude's audience was familiar with all, with all kinds of these stories. And he, he quotes Enoch, who is making a prophecy about these kind of saboteurs. Their judgment is foretold, and it is absolutely certain. But it's not just about Enoch. It's also about the prophets. There's a long, great history of people that God used to speak to warn, to warn us that if, we, if you're going to do the will of God with your life, you're going to face opposition. And you will have enemies. And some of the most dangerous enemies you'll ever have will never really reveal themselves to you as enemies. Like I'm, I always think of this song, right? Doom, doom, doom. Smiling faces. So you guys don't know that one? Smiling faces. Smiling faces tell lies. And I got proof. Can you take it? You guys really don't know that one? I'm so disappointed. I'll have to play it for you later. 
the most dangerous enemies we have at times come with a smiling face. So they had their history, their tradition. They had nature. They had the prophets. So why were they still being fooled? Why? There doesn't seem to be any reason why these church people should have been in the dangerous situation they were in. Why were they fooled? I think we get a clue in verse 16. And he's talking still about these... these, um, Saboteurs. He says, these people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and they flatter others for their own advantage. They boast about themselves and they flatter others for their own advantage. Here's my big idea and I need you to hang with me. What if they were fooled in part Because they wanted to be. What if they were being fooled, at least in part, because they wanted to be? Let's take a look at what I mean. Um, Chris and Steve, take a take a look at this video. It's maybe they chose for their fake auditions for an advert for lip balm. We're hoping that we can use part of this in a national commercial, right? And this is a test on some lip balms that we have over here. And these are our models who are going to help us, Roger and Matt. And we have uh, our own lip balm, and we have a leading brand. Would you have any problem kissing our models to test them? That was fine. That would be fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, so that this is uh, a blind test, I'm going to ask you to, to go ahead and put a, a blindfold okay. on. Okay. Now, can you see anything? No. Hold up so you can't even see down. Okay. It's completely blind now, yeah. right? Yes. Okay. Now, what I'm going to be looking for in this test mm-hmm. is um, the texture. And maybe if you can discern any flavor or not. Okay. Have you ever done a kissing test before? <laughs> Are you excited? Take one step in. Okay, now I'm going to ask you to pucker up. Pucker up big and lean in just a little bit, okay? Okay. All right. because they want to be. What's the deception here in this video? What was the deception? Yeah, they traded monkeys in for the handsome, stunning models, right? They traded monkeys for the models. They traded the models out for monkeys, for 
Actually, they're technically chimpanzees, right? Those are chimps, right? So where did the women go wrong? That first young woman that we watched, where did she go wrong? What was that? Yeah, she got she got excited. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, she trusted that they were telling the truth. Blindfold. Like, think about it. Why would she need a blindfold for that test? What? Why? Why would it be a blind test for lip balm? But you notice that she, the woman, just kind of slipped it in there. Okay, and this is a blind test here. Put on the blindfold. And uh, the girl, it just, she just was totally oblivious to what was just about to happen. I mean, I don't, it's almost like she didn't even stop the question. Why would I need a blindfold? Why would I need one? All right, so the, the best question is why did she fall for the deception? Why did she fall for it? You guys already said it. Why did she fall for it? Yeah. She wanted to kiss those models. She saw them and she's like, yeah, what an awesome day. She's, she was all about that. She wanted to kiss those models. There's a, a famous, uh, or not so famous, um, a major con artist that I've talked about before. His name is Henry Oberlander. According to British intelligence, uh, this guy could have caused the or brought down the entire banking system of the of the Western world. I mean, he was a major con artist, um, and in an interview, he was reported to have said that he has one rule. He said, "I have one rule: everyone is willing to give you something. They're ready to give you something." For whatever it is they're hungry for. They're willing to give you something for whatever it is they're hungry for. So this, this young woman was hungry to kiss those models. And so she gave up her sight. Gave up her sight. Gave up her common sense. Gave up a lot. Jude's audience seems to have given up their spiritual sight and maybe their common sense as well, blinding themselves to the real dangers that they were facing because the saboteurs were offering them something that they were hungry for. What was it? I don't know. You say, where would you get that, Steve? Remember what Jude is saying? They boast about themselves and they flatter others. They flatter others for their own gain. What was it that these saboteurs were offering that caused this church, these these Christians, to blind themselves? I don't know. Don't know. I think, was it companionship? Maybe. You know, being a Christian in the first century was a little different than being a Christian today. Was it acceptance or success? Because if you look at at how 
these saboteurs lived by their own spiritual standards while calling themselves Christians. Um, they were able to live in the greater community um, in a way that would make them um, easier to accept. They could go to all the pagan festivals that they wanted. They could, you know, they could go have sex with uh, shrine prostitutes if they wanted. They could do all that stuff. Maybe these um, saboteurs were offering them a way, offering this church a way to gain more acceptance in the wider world, make them more successful. Maybe they were just offering an easier path rather than authentic discipleship to Jesus. It's more like Jesus light. Maybe, maybe these guys were offering just a chance to have a good time like everyone else. I mean, Jude, Jude tells us um, that they openly indulge their own, their own lusts. They openly indulge their own lusts. Whatever it was, Jude's audience played a role in their own deception. Whatever. Don't know exactly. But Jude's audience, this church, played a role in their own deception. That's, that's alarming to me. Christians are often fooled in part because we want to be. We're fooled at least in part because we want to be. Now, you might say, Steve, that's, that's like an overstatement. And I, yeah, in some ways I think it is an overstatement. In some ways I think it is an overstatement. We certainly don't want the injury or the shame that comes with being deceived. But the fact is, is that we're often deceived when we become hungry enough for something that we become willing to trade our spiritual sensitivity for it. We're hungry enough for something that we become willing to trade our wisdom for it. We become hungry enough for something that we become willing to trade even our integrity for it. The reality is this kind of pain is avoidable. Uh, next week in our study of Jude, Jude's gonna is gonna change gears on us. He's gonna begin to tell us what we should do for ourselves and for others during these dangerous circumstances. And we're also gonna witness the debut of our second Emmaus Road music video for the series. So next week's a major change of gears. This morning, I would like to leave you with one question. What are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? If you don't know the answer to that, if I don't know the answer to that for myself, we put ourselves in a very vulnerable and dangerous position. I'd like to encourage you this week to make that a regular topic of prayer. Steve, what can I pray? Ask God for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. He will not deny you wisdom. He's not going to deny you wisdom. 
he wants to give you more wisdom than you'll know what to do with. Of course, you'll have more wisdom, so you'll know what to do with it then. <laughs> Ask God to lead you. Not into temptation, but deliver you from evil. Especially, especially any evil that may be hiding or disguising itself as out-of-control hungers that will open you up to destructive deceptions. Ask God to increase your hunger for him and for his ways. In this, you will find great, great satisfaction. In this, you will find great, great satisfaction. Stand with me.